Join me in the word of prayer to begin. Lord God, take my words and speak through them. Take our hearts and minds and think through them, Lord. Pray that all of this be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Well, welcome to Christ the King's Evensong service. Uh, this evening, as we celebrate All Saints' Eve, this is a time when the church considers both the darkness of death, but also we consider and anticipate the promise of life that God gives. And this is actually the hope that the church has at the time of Halloween, is that we would consider just that, the gospel message of life in the face of death, which is exactly what we'll do this evening as we take a look at Ezekiel 37. Now, my wife, Mimi, uh, coaches cross-country just up the street at Fiscal High School where we live. She's done this for 11 years, so you can imagine that she has gone on hundreds of runs with teenagers every afternoon in the fall. And on one such run several years ago, uh, she had a misstep, and it caused her to fall. And while fortunately her arm broke her fall, the fall also broke her arm. And when she went to the emergency room and got it checked out, turned out her elbow had actually been shattered. And it was a mess of just pieces of bone. Enough so that the surgeon said, you know, I, I can't even operate on this. It's, it's kind of an impossibly bleak situation. Now, I think that the situation that Ezekiel finds in this valley of dry bones is a bit, a bit similar. He's confronted with a mess of bones Granted, it's a little bit more Halloween, and I do recognize that it's a, a dark and stormy night. This might not have been the bedtime story you were, you were hoping for. Um, but we'll, we'll take a look at this message that we have from Ezekiel the prophet. Keep in mind that Ezekiel, as a prophet, was one who delivered messages from God. Oftentimes they were warnings followed up by promises of God's restoration to his people. And so we have in our reading today... A picture of death. We have Ezekiel in the valley of dry bones. Now, oftentimes, forensic anthropologists will study bones to see how it was an individual lived and certain things that they can ascertain about that person's life and how they died. And similarly, Ezekiel surveys this scene of bones and he notices two quite simple things. Take a look down. Uh, I'm pretty sure even the youngest of the, uh, those of you who are here tonight can see. He sees, first off, Verses 2, there's many bones. And secondly, they are very dry. The fact that there's many bones, this, this uh, should evoke for us pictures that are a bit uh, like the aftermath of war. Uh, piles uh, of skulls and skeletons. And the fact that they're very dry tells us that these aren't the recently dead. These are the sun-bleached, vulture-picked bones. Or in the words of the coroner from The Wizard of Oz, the really most sincerely dead. <laughs> always one of my favorite lines. I was in that play in eighth grade, um, and the only non-singing major role, which is why I gave a tantrum this evening. Um, have you ever tried to assemble a piece of Ikea furniture? Have you ever had that moment where you have all this, these pieces on your living room floor, you have these questionable little devices they say are adequate for assembling that piece of furniture, some instructions that don't seem to make as much sense as you wish. It's a bit of a bleak situation. Now, for Ezekiel, we have a little bit of the same bleak situation. We have all of these bones 
and he's asked a question by God, which frankly seems absurd. God says to him, right after he's noticed how many bones there are and how dry they are, can these bones live? Now, this is absurd, but Ezekiel wisely volleys this question right back at God, and he says, oh, God, only you know. Which, if you're ever face-to-face -to -face to God with God, file that one away, that's a good answer. <laughs> now, the reality is you might be thinking about this passage, how does this relate to us? In the words of, of Monty Python, we're not dead yet, right? Here we are living. And the reality is the message that Ezekiel gave to the Israelites, they were also alive. But at times, Ezekiel is comparing their life with the death and the dryness of these bones. So consider this question, can these bones live? Do you ever find yourself asking a similar question? Maybe it comes in the form of, can I make it through another week? Can I, can I get through the grind that seems to just be sucking life out of me at work? What can God do with whatever the bleak situation is that you're facing? Maybe there are times that, like the psalm that we read together, you feel like your soul is gasping as if in a thirsty lane. And it's to this scenario, it's to these feelings of lifelessness that we find the promise that we see in verse 5 and 6. The promise of life. Look down at verse 5 and 6 with me. It says, this is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. Again in verse 6, it says, you will come to life, then you will know that I am the Lord. Now, if we're honest, uh, there may be times that we think, I don't, I don't feel that dead, I feel quite alive. But there are also probably moments where you think, gosh, I, I don't feel like I can relate to this. Look at verse 11 and we see how the Israelites felt in their situation. It says, our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, we are cut off. I wonder if there's times for you that you felt like your hope is waning in this world. Uh, remember the, the broken elbow uh, that Mimi had that I, I Story. She was able to see a world-renowned elbow expert and surgeon, and her elbow is now quite functional, albeit with pins and a large screw. And God desires to bring not just restoration held together with pins and screws to the places where we feel left than lively. He actually desires to bring full and abundant life. And let's take a look at our passage to see how God fulfills this promise to bring love. He does so by two ways that I want to look at together with you this evening. He does, do, does so by the power of his word and by the power of his spirit. Psalm 33 says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. God's word has power to bring love, and that's what we see in verse 4, we see it says, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And again, when Ezekiel prophesies, it is then that the bones come together and are filled into life. 
Now, Ezekiel's task might seem odd. He's essentially told to preach to the dead, right? And I, never again will I complain against an, an audience I'm preaching to. Um, we're aware that this is, is a task that is not enviable. Certainly, ears have bones, but bones do not have ears. And we see in verse 8 that even to dead bones, God's word makes flesh. This reminds me of in John's Gospel, where he writes of Jesus, that Jesus is indeed the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. So for us, what does it look like for God's word to have power to bring life to us? And when, when life feels dry, when perhaps uh, you are feeling a little bit sapped, uh, remember the message that John the Baptist preached into the dry wilderness. This is a voice of one calling in the desert who told people to return from a condition of death to one of life. And to do so by hearing God's word. So for us, when we regularly hear God's word, whether it's proclaimed or preached in a, in a church, in a worship service, whether it is read in God's word on your own or with a group, God promises that his word doesn't return void, that it will have this enlivening power in our land. But the reality is you might think, well, this sermon I'm hearing right now isn't that good. The good thing is it doesn't depend on me, and it doesn't depend on you when you read God's Word. It depends on God. So though it might not always feel like it's a big glass of ice-cold water, God promises that He does nourish us by His Word. And that might be a slow drift over time that you see that you're being sustained by God's Word. There is a hymn that we sung this morning uh, in our service it says, in much the best life fails, but his word upholds my fainting spirit. God's word is able to uphold our fainting spirit. It's able to encourage us. It's able to give us guidance. It's able to remind us of the promises of God. It's able to remind us of the terms of endearment that Jesus uses for us. Uh, regardless of your... Uh, your football feelings. Uh, this past week I saw on SportsCenter that uh, Kirk Cousins, quarterback of the Washington Redskins, grandmother passed away. And I thought this was, was kind of an odd thing to be highlighted on SportsCenter, um, but they showed an Instagram post that he put up that said, her passing was sudden, but because of the gospel, we will see her again. She left a spiritual heritage for her children's children. Deuteronomy 6.2. Her favorite song was the hymn In the Garden, and she's now living that hymn more than ever before. So here we have someone who's in a situation where he probably could have felt like he related more to the Valley of Dry Bones, and instead he looked to God's word, was encouraged, and envisioned the opposite of the Valley of Dry Bones. Indeed, a garden where in that hymn it says that God walks with us, that he talks with us, that he tells us. We are his own. So first we see the power of God's word, and second we see the power of God's spirit. Look back down at verse 8 with me, and you'll see in our reading that when you come to verse 8, it seems that there's still a bit of a problem. The end of verse 8, it says, but there was no breath in them. 
Now the word in Hebrew that is used there for breath is also the same word that is used for wind or for spirit, which is significant because it's the same Hebrew word in the creation account at Genesis where it says that God formed man from the dust, which is very dry, and breathed life into them. So we have a miracle of creation that we're witnessing here. And God's promise is that by His Spirit, we won't just be like the walking dead, but we will be raised up to a life where by His Spirit, we are truly alive. Think about the disciples who after Jesus' crucifixion were in the upper room. It says that they had the doors locked for fear of the Jews. They thought that they were as good as dead. And into that scenario, Jesus walks and he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I think for us, it's important to remember that God's concern for us is more than just for our physical life, but also for our spiritual life. And I want to highlight briefly three ways that he brings life by his spirit. The first is by the sacraments, and especially the Eucharist, that we celebrate when we worship. At the Eucharist, we have communion with God's presence. And you may not feel it each time, but I hope that at some point as you receive the elements, that you can sense and feel the life-giving presence of God's Spirit. Secondly, we experience this in prayer, where we commune and through the mystery of God's Spirit, we actually receive the life-giving encouragement. The word used for God's Spirit, the paraclete in the Greek New Testament, is actually a Greek word. I just learned this in my Greek class last week. It comes from a Greek word that the root means to encourage. That's significant. I think oftentimes the type of life that we need given to us is encouraged. Thirdly, I think when we have spiritually significant conversations with those around us, we see the promise of God's presence show up. God, Jesus says that where two or three are gathered together in his name, there is he with them. And when we have those conversations, I think God uses his spirit to transform our vision. So that instead of seeing a valley of dry bones before us and saying, well, that is just a picture of death, instead, we see the promise of life that God makes. And so for us, when we come to the time where we ask that question, can these bones live? Can I make it through this? God's promise is you will come to life. And he'll bring you to life by his word and spirit. This is actually the resurrection hope of the Christian gospel. This should sound like an old, familiar tune. I recognize that it's a, a dark and stormy, and, and I often get these Halloween-type passages to preach on, but the way that our passage puts it is the very simple message of the gospel. It says, hear the word of the Lord. Oh, my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live. And because of Jesus, Jesus who rose from the dead, Jesus who brought Lazarus from death to life, our prayer is, Lord, do it again. Do it again in my life. Do it again this week when I'm feeling dry and worn out and lifeless. Show to me your promise of life. Remember that this is Jesus who says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And 
everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you uh, that you tell us in your word that if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, then he who rose Christ from the dead will give life to us even in our mortal bodies.